This morning, I would love to call you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14 will be in verse 30 this morning. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. We're continuing our sermon series through the seven deadly follies entitled A Fight for Joy as we seek to confront the patterns of sin that are in our lives with the wisdom and grace of our God. And there's a few things that come to my mind as we continue this series, Fight for Joy. Uh, first of all, as we're addressing the seven deadly follies, we decided to turn up the temperature in here uh, quite literally. I don't know if you noticed. I feel like it's a little warm in here. We're trying to figure out the AC in this building here in summer. It's a different gig. Uh, hopefully, that's, uh, we're not trying to artificially bring conviction of sin or anything on you. Um, just a little warmer. Um, the last few weeks, I haven't been able to, to be with you because uh, I was at Cross Point Coast, downtown Orlando. Uh, Cross Point Church, downtown Orlando, two weeks ago, and I was at Cross Point Coast in Palm Bay uh, last week. And I want you to know that the church uh, across the Cross Point congregations sends their greetings, their love, their ongoing prayer. One of the joys about being at Cross Point downtown is a number of the people who are there at present uh, were also a part of Cross Point Lake Nona, the sending congregation for both us and Cross Point downtown. And a number of the people that were at Cross Point Lake Nona that I saw there downtown last week uh, were the people who were actually a part of sending us over here to plant in Brevard County. What a joy to have just this family working together and praying together and and serving one another and encouraging one another. I just want you to know that. I know you don't all get to see it very often, but there is a family that we get to be a part of, and it's a true joy. Also, it was a joy to be there last week at uh, Cross Point Coast Palm Bay, a church that we got to be a part of sending out and supporting and encouraging and equipping and and being a part of together. Uh, So I want you to know they're doing well, and it was really sweet to spend time with them last week, even as Pastor Miguel from Cross Point Espanol came last week and shared with you. Uh, I hope this sermon sermon series is serving you in that way as well. But for now, uh, we need to turn to Proverbs. And in Proverbs, what we're going to find throughout the whole of this series is we turn to Proverbs as a means of fighting for joy. We're going to find help in the form of counsel and instruction for our hearts. As we turn in the Word together, may we lean not on our own understanding, but trust in the Lord. And in all of our ways, we acknowledge Him and He will make our path straight. It's actually one of the things that was encouraging to me as I listened to Justin Sarah's sermon that opened this series that he preached at, uh, at Cross Point Coast Palm Bay when he came to that portion. One of the things that he noted is that he will make our paths straight. We can twist that up real good. We can think that as we trust in the Lord, the way that we trust in the Lord is we make our paths straight. But that's not what it says. So we trust in the Lord He will make our paths straight. As we trust in him, we will discover a beautiful way that we can walk that he has provided for his people. So we, there's a striving, but the striving is not a striving of being upright. A striving is the striving of trusting in the Lord. This morning we're going to turn to the folly of envy. 
There's a difficult one for you, envy. Envy is an enemy of contentment. Envy is the enemy of joy. There is no envious person who is happy. And think about it. It doesn't make any sense. But envy, even though to enter into envy is literally to enter into discontent and a loss of joy, envy is still an act of the will. It's a desire to steal. At the heart of envy is the heart of a thief. But the only victim of envy's larceny is the thief's own happiness. That's, that's why it's called folly, by the way. It's folly. Envy's folly. It's loss to the one who is envious. We're going to work our way through a number of passages this morning, but this morning we will find the center of our passage in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Look at it with me. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your care, your love, your provision, your counsel, your wisdom, and your grace for the whole of our persons, for our bodies, our hearts, our bones, our soul, for the whole of who we are. You have given wisdom. You have given a way for us to trust in you and your grace. May we learn this this morning. Would your spirit and your word work in the midst of the congregation, we pray in the name and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. The envy makes the bones rot. One of the things that I closed the sermon series, the first sermon in this series in, the introductory series, is the fact that in the last year and a half, if there's anything that this last year and a half has left us with, it has been weariness, exhaustion. We are a people in need of refreshment. Well, that is what this passage is holding out to us, along with so many of the Proverbs. A tranquil, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. Friends, that's what I need. I need life giving reality for my flesh. Envy has a tangible, ailing effect on the body of the person who is consumed by envy. Don't, don't take this as strictly a metaphor. It's telling us the truth. Envy makes the bones rot. It messes with your body. It's literally consuming and rotting the bones. This morning, we will seek that the life, that life is found in a person who's at peace with the way of the Lord. What we're going to do is we're going to spend some time describing envy. Now, this can be difficult for us because we're going to spend time describing and looking closely at what? Sin. Well, that's not fun. That hurts. Some of these things might strike you. I had someone come up to me after the service at Cross Point downtown, and they told me, you know, envy is the folly I've struggled with since I was a child. Envy has been with me. You know, I'm like, envy is not as much my thing. I'm not saying I'm fully cured, you know? But this is, of all the follies, this is not 
until I examine it closely, <laughs> right? And we're going to examine closely, and I think we're all going to find ourselves there, and at some point, it's going to hurt. And we're going to say, can somebody please, pastor, preach the gospel? And we will. But let us look at the glory of the gospel in the, the vileness and the folly of what it cures. We spend a few moments looking at the definition of envy together. One of the definitions that I found was to be jealous or to bear ill will. To be jealous or to bear ill will. That's one of those definitions I felt like used the word in the definition, like jealous, envy. Come on, you just use like the same word. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26 says this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I love that the, the idea of provoking one another is sitting there right next to the words envying one another. Envy begins to think too much of ourselves that we begin to bear ill will toward another, that we begin to be provoked and provoking toward others that we ought to be in fellowship with. Another way to put it is we begin to begrudge one another. I love that word. So helpful in understanding envy, to begrudge or to have an evil eye. Now, there's an interesting phrase. It's actually found in the scripture. We looked at it when we went through the Sermon on the Mount a few years ago. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23 say this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. There it is again, your whole body. This is a very physical reality. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That phrase, when we looked at it a number of years ago, we found that that phrase, the eye is bad, is literally an evil eye. The phrase that is sitting there being translated for us, the eye is bad, is to have an evil eye. Elsewhere, it's also translated with the word envious, an eye that is lacking generosity toward another. Well, think about it. An envious person lacks generosity toward another because they actually want to consume what belongs to the other person. There's no generosity, but rather there is consumption. Rather than being disposed toward generosity toward other, when we see another property, we're disposed to want and grasp what they have for ourselves. You can see that the evil eye is not only inwardly evil, but it, out of the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of the way that the eye sees, we quickly turn to commit evil acts toward one another. We begrudge and we begin to provoke and our relationships are destroyed in the presence of envy. Let's consider a number of the ways that envy plays itself out in our lives. Consider this. Is it not possible to envy another person's good? All right, another person has wealth or possessions. That's easy. You might understand envy quickly when you think of, of being envious or perhaps greedy. Now, there's another folly, right? These, these, these follies are related to one another. And we begin to become envious of another's wealth or possessions, but that's not the only thing that we can be envious of. We could be envious of another person's talents, Maybe another person's achievements. You ever seen someone be, achieve great things and be recognized as such? And you think, oh, I wanted that. 
But what about being envious of another person's relationships or their friendships? I just wish I could make friends the way that that person makes friends. In fact, I wanted that person to be my friend the way that they have become someone else's friends, and you become envious. Now, what's interesting is at Crosspoint, we talk a lot about generosity as the contribution of our time, our talent, and treasure. So you can see how envy, rather than being the generosity, the contribution of our time, talent, and treasure, envy seeks to consume another's time, talent, and treasure. And this is probably the grossest thing about envy. What the Lord has provided for the good, what, what the Lord has provided for the good of another, I would seek to leverage for my own consumption. Do you see it? We talk a lot about leveraging our time, talent, and treasure that the Lord has provided to us out of, a, out of a heart of gratitude for what the Lord has provided. We turn to leverage our time, talent, and treasure to his glory and his praise in the midst of the congregation and our community. But what envy does is it sees the good that the Lord has provided to another and says, I would seek to leverage what the Lord has given to them for his glory, and I want to turn it back upon myself for my own praise and my own benefit for my own glory. When we look at what God has given as a good for another, we call it evil. We look at what God has called good for another and we say it's evil as long as it belongs to them. It ought to belong to me. And through envious schemes, we seek to take possession of it for ourselves. It's easy to envy another's good. I think we've all done it, right? We can all think of moments of our own envy. But what about envying another's generosity? There's a, a story in the scriptures where a master of a vineyard pays all of the laborers who come into the vineyard to work all day long for some, and for some they come in halfway through the day, and for some they come in the last hour of the day. But the master of the vineyard pays all of the laborers the same generous wage. And those who worked the full day and received a generous wage look at the the provision that is given for the one who worked for just an hour of their long day, and they look at the generosity of the master, and they look at him and they say this. They, they begin to begrudge him his generosity. And they're envious at heart. They have an evil eye, and they are provoked. And the master in the vineyard, Jesus says, says this. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, the master says? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. You see, the master has provided for all the laborers according to his promise, and his promise was just and generous. 
But the envious person begrudges the master's generosity. Instead of tranquility and peace that gives life to the body, he sees the master's generosity to the laborers at the end of the day and his bones rot. You can't sleep that night. Are you kidding me? The master was generous to those people at the end of the day. Instead of going home with a full day's wage, a full day's wage, his bones rot within him and he can't sleep because of a begrudging heart. Could he not turn? Could he not turn and rejoice in the generosity that is shown to the fellow laborers? What an opportunity. Could he not be thankful that he serves such a generous master? Did you see what my master did? I mean, he didn't do it for me. He paid me my full day's wage. But did you see what my master did for those who came in at the end of the day? What an opportunity for rejoicing for those who received the full day's wage and worked a full day's labor. But envy is connected to greed. And one might even say that envy in many times is born of greed. As I said, it's true of many of the deadly follies. They find some common root. For instance, gluttony and lust are both connected at the level of desire, are they not? Well, couldn't those also be connected to greed and to envy? James Stalker, a commentator that I found to be particularly helpful in the study of envy, he says that envy at times is the sin of the strong. That is, those who have prospered become consumed by envy. The people who worked all day, they have a job, and the job pays well, and they got paid. But envy is the, is the sin of the strong, and they say, but I didn't get everything I wanted. I didn't get the generosity of the master the way the people at the end of the day did. They become consumed by greed. But envy isn't just the sin of the strong. Envy is also the sin of the weak. Consider the way that envy is often also the fruit of laziness. Imagine this scenario. After hearing of the generosity of the master for the people who worked at the beginning of the day, imagine if Jesus continued the parable and he said, and then the next day. The people with a begrudging evil eye schemed together in their envy. And they decided that they would not arrive at the beginning of the day, but they would arrive at the end of the day in the expectation that the master would provide a full day's salary. And so they scheme. You can see where this goes. They arrive at the end of the day, and the master pays them for precisely the hour that they worked. Are they thankful? Are they, are they filled with righteousness and justice? Yes, we serve a master who keeps his promises like they cried out for the day before? Or are they not begrudging and envious of those who worked the full day and received the full day's wage? How often is laziness and scheming actually the fruit of an envious heart? We want what we perceive to be the possession of the lazy, and so we scheme schemes to join them. Again, James Stalker says this, instead of living laborious days, they have expected fortune to drop into their lap. 
And instead of cultivating their minds by burning the midnight oil, they have calculated on winning the prize by genius and cleverness alone. So very often, cleverness and scheming winds up being the fruit of envy. Begrudging becomes a scheme. The scheme desires to rob and to steal from the generosity or the foolishness of others, perhaps. One commentator offers this anecdote. Imagine if those who were paid for only an hour's labor then assaulted those who worked the full day's wage. And they assault the ones who work the full day's wage, and the one who works the full day's wage says this, those who labor and prosper might honestly respond to those who envy them. They wish to have my fortune, but they do not wish to have my labors. Envy becomes scheming and fails to see the value of labor. Envy can also come in the form of the envy of another disciple. Now we're getting a little closer. There's a very good chance that you find yourself here. Now we get to some of the more insidious examples of envy because they describe envy not of worldly wealth, but of spiritual things. Imagine envy of another's fruitful gospel ministry. There's something twisted about that, isn't there? There's something kind of upside down about this. But it happens. It's real. It's a temptation for all who are involved in gospel ministry, and I hope that would be all of the partners at Cross Point Coast. To be envy of another's progress as a disciple, another's sanctification. Have you ever looked at someone and say, why can't I just be like them? Why can't I just worship the way that they do? Why can't I just have the truth of the Scripture roll off my tongue? Well, you envy their memorization, but you don't do any of the work, just like the laborer. You envy their years of wisdom, but you don't want to pay the price of living those years. Envy another's role in the church. Why is it that they get to do that in the church, to envy another's spiritual gifts. And we'll speak at that one for a while. This is the problem of envying another's spiritual gifts and, and really of all the other fruit of the life that is lived in Christ. Listen, all that we have, we have in Christ. Is this true? Do you believe that this is true? If you have, you have in Christ and in Christ alone. That, and, and all that is given is given by Christ to the glory of Christ alone. Is this also true? All that we have, we have in Christ. All that we have is given for the glory of Christ. That means that the cause of the gifts of God is not the glory of our own advancement. Ow. That should mess with us in our envy of spiritual things. What we have is that with great joy, we might leverage what is given for the purposes of the Lord and his gospel. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Again, James Stalker, we cannot love the good cause very passionately if we do not welcome every talented, 
every talent consecrated to his service. Look at it again. We cannot love the good cause very passionately if we do not welcome every talent consecrated to his service. Listen to what that means. At the heart of envy is to to seek to take hold what the Lord has given, we agreed, for his own glory, we agreed, seeks to take that good gift and take it to ourselves for our own glory. Brothers and sisters, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. Who would have thought that idolatry would be sitting there at the root of folly? Who would have thought? But how often is idolatry a motivating factor for us, even in the church, even regarding spiritual things? Let us, there's such an opportunity here, such an opportunity that that whatever is given, when we think all of the gifts that are consecrated to his service, we think all of the gifts that he's given to me are consecrated to his service. But what if all of his gifts, all of the gifts of the Spirit are gifts that are consecrated to his service all around us that we might rejoice. Most of what we've considered thus far has been an envy of what is otherwise generally positive. Good gifts in the world, good gifts in the church, good gifts in spiritual things. But it is also possible to envy the prophet of a doer of evil. There's another disastrous strain of envy. It's an envy that turns to want to emulate evil out of a perception that evil has caused the person to prosper in the world. What's interesting is I found that in the Proverbs, most of the instances in which envy is being addressed are actually addressed to those who are envying the way of the wicked. Listen to Proverbs 3, verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The person is envious of the fruit of violence, but he fails to see that the violent person should have no confidence because they are opposed to the way of the Lord and opposed by the Lord. Why would you envy the violent man when the Lord is just? And so what do we do? What's the business? We'll stop envying the violent. No, Trust that the Lord is just, and he will talk you out of your violent ways. Proverbs 12, verse 12. Whoever is wicked covets the spoils of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. The envious person only sees the worldly spoils. He fails to see the inner fruit of righteousness and its eternal reward looks around and sees the way that the evil person prospers in this world, but looks at the righteous person and doesn't see anything, fails to see the tranquil heart, fails to see the eternal reward. Proverbs 24, verse 1 and 2. Do not envy an evil man, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. The envious person desires to become an associate with evil. All of the people who worked the full day get together with those who come up with a plan to to come out positively on the other end the next day and just work one hour and take advantage of the generosity of the master. They take their plans and they whip up the root of envy and greed together in association. 
And then Proverbs 24, verses 19 and 20. Fret not for yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. And the lamp of the wicked will be put out. The counsel of the Lord is not to be persuaded by evildoers or your perception of their prosperity. Friends, you can look at evildoers right now, today. You can go online and you can find the ways of those who are evil and unjust, and you can find that they prosper. So it would seem. But their way will be put out. Do we trust the Lord or do we not? The way of the evildoer is another way. One likely does not de- likely desire evil, but rather desires, de- desires what you, you perceive as the fruit of the way of the evildoer. You begin to envy him, and in envying him, you begin to walk in his way. Envy doesn't wait on the Lord as the righteous one does but begins to grasp. Now what we find is that at the end of all of these ways of envy, and there are so many more, envy rots the bones. Again, Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It has a very real physical effect on a person. Envy is displeasure by definition. Think about it. It is grief at pleasure, success, and possessions of another. Envy is grief. Envy is loss. Envy is mourning. As James Stalker says, envy is its own punishment. Envy takes pleasure. The only place envy can find pleasure is at the destruction of another. Finally, they're back to my standard. Finally, they have what I have. The only pleasure at envy is either the consumption of what God meant for another or the destruction of the other. This is why it begrudges. Envy does not take any other considerations, but the other's pleasure results in personal dissatisfaction. I want to make just a quick clarification for you. It is possible It's not always envy to see another's advancement and be sorrowful. It's not always the case. It is possible to see the advancement of another in this world and be sorrowful if by that advancement in the society, the society itself is degraded. Or you see that in the supposed advancement of another, you see danger for the person who has perceived advancement. That in that place, that isn't envy, that's love. That's to see the perception of good for another or for society, but long for a more tangible, long-lasting, non-bone-rotting good. It's to love them. The problem with envy is the evil of self-reference. It finds in the self the only location for satisfaction and joy. Pleasure is only taken when the self is advanced. But what is the opposite of envy? Is it not sacrificial love? Isn't this the opposite of envy? Sacrificial love takes envy and turns it on its head. Envy will find its true cure 
in heaven's joy. Consider Christ and the church, a husband and a wife. It is to find one's joy in the joy of another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. One of my favorite passages in Scripture. So instructive to us. So humbling to us. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Envy is the opposite of self-sacrificing love. Love seeks the good of another. And when another person receives good gifts from God, advancement in the world, progress in sanctification, joy in Christ, the person is filled with joy. Ah, I love it when God's gifts are received by God's people. I love to see the good work of the good master in his generosity to my wife, to my friend, to my partner in the gospel. The gospel is the cure for envy. God has no cause for envy. I was trying to think of like a situation where Jesus might have been envious. What would that look like? And the only thing that I could think of is We know that Jesus faced trials of many kinds and and many temptations, just as you and I have been tempted. But imagine Jesus, the child, and he's going around, and his parents give an instruction, and he obeys it. Did he ever look around and see his brothers and sisters disobeying the word of his parents, knowing that they're going to get out of their devious disobedience through a lie? Did he envy their willingness to lie? Well, we know he did not lie. We know that he desired the way of the Father. And the approval of the Father was where his satisfaction was found. Could Jesus not have envied all those as he went about his ministry that he saw going about their daily business day after day, making their prosperity in their various towns as he made his way to Jerusalem and the cross? passing by all the businesses, all the carpentry shops that he certainly was skilled to have opened himself. Did he walk past them to the cross? Was there not an opportunity to envy their way? But for the joy set before him, he clung to the greater joy, a greater joy than all the envious ways of the world that might have been afforded to him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It's really the joy of a husband for the bride who is the church. He sought our good, and he found his joy in that self-sacrificial love. We are freed from envy by a greater joy that is absolutely provided for us in Christ. James Stalker suggests that there are two ways in which to combat envy. The first way is to love beauty. The first way to combat envy is to love beauty. Beauty. Let me tell you just up front, the worst way to combat envy is to decide not to be envious. Then you're just going to envy humble people. <laughs> it's not going to work. Set your eye on something good. Love beauty. This means that one is now free to love excellence and reward, even when it comes to another. Imagine 
Better yet, love excellence as the fruit of the image of God and the spirit of God at work at mankind. And when you see beauty, you, when you see gifts, when you see flourishing, you can say, oh my goodness, my God has been so kind to my brother, to my sister. The gifts of his spirit are full and transforming. The image of God in mankind is beautiful when it flourishes in my brother or my sister. And we rejoice. There's a German proverb that goes like this. I love a thing that's fine, even when it's not mine. And though it mine can never be, yet it delights and gladdens me. That's good. The things that I have are not all that I have. This person is one who has increasing opportunities for joy. As he sees the gifts that are given to others, he takes hold of them and actually consumes them with joy with his eyes and with his worship. He sees it, and it turns him to the worship of not of the thing for consumption, but to the giver of good gifts and beautiful things. A wealth of resources of joy are all about him. As he looks around and he begins to see the gifts of God at work in humanity and begins to rejoice at the beauty of our God. He delights in excellence and excellence is his reward and is constantly confronted by joy and delight. A delight in another's profit in a manner is a means by which one might actually take hold of the possession of another by simply delighting in it. What, to, what a way to be confronted with joy all day long. Delight without ownership. Possession of joy becomes ours. I do think that one of the most beautiful ways to see that is in the relationships between a husband and a wife or between a parent and a child. Oh, the joy in the eyes of a parent when the child flourishes. self sacrificial love. This is the way of the Father with us. The second way that we combat envy is to count your mercies. Rather than comparing yourself to the advancement of others, ought we not to compare ourselves to those who have suffered loss? What did Jesus himself do? Jesus had no one up to look to compare himself, to be envious of others, what did he do? He compared himself to those who had suffered loss. And then what did he do? Well, at least I'm not like those humans. At least I'm the God of the universe. (laughs) No. He condescended. And he, he walked in mercy. You want another man's lot, you say? You want to envy another? I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's do a little project. Imagine with me. Uh, All those who are envious and say you want another person's way, their own wealth in the world, why don't we do this? Why don't we have, what is it, six or seven billion people in the world? Let's all write down our names, okay? And then we're going to take a gigantic hat and we're gonna parade it around the entire world and everybody throws their name in the hat, okay? Are you in? And when the hat comes here to Cross Point Coast, we all go outside, it won't fit in the room, and we drop our name in the hat, 
And then it makes another round around the globe. And on that day, we all walk outside and we take one name out of the hat. Now imagine with me, in a world filled with all the people that it's filled with, do you want that name? Or this morning, should we count our mercies? God, you have been merciful to me. But I would suggest that's not sufficient. God, you have been merciful to me. Teach me the way, not of envy, but of condescension. To draw down low. And I know your mercy is more. Fill up my sight with the gifts that come from your hand that reach to every single corner of this globe that I know that if I have Christ in his cross, in my place, for me, so that I am forgiven of sin, reconciled to my God by his grace through faith, I have a kingdom that is forever. Nothing can be added to this. What should we do when we envy? Let us direct our longing to God. We have longings that are not satisfied. That's true. You know what I'm talking about. But instead of seeking to fulfill that longing with power or possessions in this world, we can ask the Lord, what have I not seen about you that I have in you and in your grace for me? What have I not seen? Because I know I have everything in you. Show me yourself. Show me your grace. Show me your mercies. What have I not enjoyed about you? What part of your kingdom do I long to still come, but that I know is coming? What fulfillment will I have in heaven when it comes to earth that I can turn into longing for that day? So when, when I say at communion, Lord, come quickly, I hear people say, yes, amen, Lord, come quickly. What do I anticipate when I see your face? I want to draw our attention as we close to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, oh, and it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let us remember that the greatest possession that we have is not the grasping of our envy, but is the gift of the grace of God, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept you can't lose it. It's kept by the power of God for you. What longing ought to be increased in us for the gift that has already been given. Our greatest possession is the gift of salvation. What could we envy in this world that would outstrip the joy that we have in Christ? Joy. One of the difficulties of preaching through 
these seven deadly follies is to remind us that it's not a wallowing in our folly. We are foolish. Jeremiah is a fool. You're a fool. That ought not to that ought not shock us. What ought to shock us is the abundant grace of God in Christ. This is a fight to see the truth. This is a fight to see reality and live in light of it. And our life will be given to our bones. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we would see rightly. We would not have an evil eye, but an eye that is capable of seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that you would come into us, that we would see you. We would see you in your word, that we would see you by your spirit. We would see you at work amongst your people. And rather than having envy that is so infectious in our hearts, so insidious in the way that it works, we would see the truth that all that we have, we have by grace. Nothing that we have grasped at have we taken hold of with joy. May we be persuaded by your grace, kindness, and beauty, your mercy to us. And for the one here who is convicted of sin, may that be all of us, Lord. I pray that you would make your grace known, that they would not even strive at the removal of the sin, but they would strive at trust in the Lord. They would lay themselves down. They would enter as a people who are needy, not perfect, needy. And they would rejoice in your gift of sanctification, in your gift of grace. Thank you, Lord. We trust your generosity to your people. We trust your grace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.